0: Hey guys, it's Heidi. Hope you're having a good week and I am with Morgan McKittrick this week and we are talking about being super passionate and excited and planning for home birth and then doing all the things in a home birth and then transferring to the hospital and what an unmedicated vaginal birth could still look like with a hospital transfer when you were planning for a home birth. So let's get to it. Whether you are pregnant, trying desperately to get pregnant, or you just love a good birth story, I hope you will stick around and be part of this birth story family. Okay, just a little something before we get started today, and that is, what happens if you don't take Birth Story Academy? So like, let's say you're pregnant, that's why you're listening to the Birth Story podcast, and you're preparing for a hospital birth that's upcoming. And of course, this podcast gives you tons of free information, right? But like, do you really understand the stages of labor? How to know when you're in labor? What if you have to have an induction? What about a cesarean section? What about all of the decisions that you have to make once you get to the hospital? So you get there and then they put you in triage. Birth Story Academy walks you through all the things that happen, like that rapid fire with like monitoring and blood work and questions and IV ports and do you want an epidural? I don't know. Do you? In Birth Story Academy, we literally break down all of those decisions Pros, cons, risks, benefits, intuition. And like we get into it. We make birth plans. We do birth visions. We listen to birth affirmations and parenting affirmations. And like at the end of it, like you know exactly what's going to happen when you go into labor and when you get to the hospital. What's going to happen after you give birth? Newborn care preferences. How to take care of your baby. So I guess what I'm getting at is... If you're not in Birth Story Academy, what's your plan, right? Like, I want to be your teacher. I want you to come join me in Birth Story Academy and let me walk you through all of the decisions that you have to make if you're having a hospital birth and how to have body autonomy and how to have informed consent and informed refusal. Like, I'm going to teach you and your partner, if you have one, everything that you need to know about birthing in a hospital so that you can walk in that door with some swagger, with some confidence, like wash that anxiety away because you learned everything you needed to learn in Birth Story Academy and you are ready to crush that birth, right? Okay, let's do it and let's get to this episode. Hey, Morgan, welcome to the Birth Story Podcast. Hello, hello. I'm so happy that you reached out because I love, love, talking about and interviewing people on home births and in the intro I know like spoiler alert there was a transfer but I want to talk all about like everything leading up like the the big part of your process that was home birth so thanks for being here
1: thanks for having me I'm
0: pumped where are you where are you where are you where are you coming to me from
1: I'm in Texas. I hope my accent doesn't come through. Just a smaller town here in Texas, though.
0: I'm currently, like, obsessed with the Texas accent, and I didn't know this about myself, but I decided to listen to Jessica Simpson's autobiography. (laughs) Okay. It's so good.
1: Well, now I know what I'm doing this weekend. Oh,
0: well, it's like 14 hours long, so it takes a while, but it is so good. I mean, I like laughed, I cried, and I like really like by the end of it, I was like, this Texas accent is like my favorite accent. So I hope it comes out. That makes me feel way better. (laughs) Yeah, I'm like, I hope it comes out. It's way better than a North Carolina accent, I think after listening to 14 hours of Jessica Simpson. so <laughs> Oh, I can't imagine. Um, so when you wrote in, you said, there was this one line that just like got me and it said that you had been comfortable with and planning a home birth like in your mind since you were 18 years old. So like how, well, how'd that come about?
1: Yeah, so I didn't really even know home birth existed until high school. It was later in high school. I actually went to high school with who was eventually my doula. And so she, right? So she was a year below me and she would always post these things on social media about home birth, about birth, about babies. And I was like, you are just the local weirdo until (laughs) I also turned into the local weirdo. Yeah,
0: we call them birth nerds. That's what
1: we'll go with. Yes. Yes. So, she would always talk about birth, and um, that's how I kind of dove in, and I went down the wee 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 wah train, which is the hippie train, and here I am years
0: later at 24. Okay. And how old is your child? She just
1: turned 13 months today. So,
0: 13 months. Okay. So, you're in high school And you're kind of following these, like, Instagram accounts and all that kind of stuff. And you're still, you know, pretty young. So, like, did you plan this pregnancy? Was it a surprise? Like, tell me all about this baby.
1: (laughs) You're going to call me right on out. Yeah,
0: I am. So...
1: (laughs) (laughs) So I, my husband and I got married and I was not on birth control. I was doing the fertility awareness method, which did me a solid for 11 months okay. until it didn't. Yeah. <laughs> so I did have a surprise pregnancy at 11 months. It was a very welcomed pregnancy. Um, if you would have asked us, we would have said, oh, we're going to wait two years, but we waited just about a year. Yeah. So yes, it was a surprise pregnancy, but we were very excited about it. And we knew the moment I peed on a stick, I knew that it was going to be a home birth.
0: Okay. Now there are people listening that like didn't have this like friend doula in high school that like, and they don't know about all the woo woo stuff. So like, can you just touch a little bit upon like the fertility awareness method?
1: Absolutely. Yes. So the fertility awareness method focuses on tracking your cycles. Um, There are a few different methods of doing it. I was doing my basal body temperature, which is where you take your temperature every morning before you even roll out of bed. And you'll see a spike whenever you're ovulating or whenever you just ovulated. And then you'll see a decline whenever you're not. Um, another way to track your ovulation, which is when you get pregnant most of the time, yeah. um, is to w- track your cervical fluid. So I also monitored that way.
0: Okay. So what do you think happened with the fertility awareness? method? Well, you see,
1: we <laughs> use fertility awareness method with condoms and condoms don't always work. Okay. Sometimes condoms will break. And that's, that's what got us where we are today. Wow. So you
0: knew you were having sex, like, in a fertile time.
1: Oh, yeah. Then. I knew exactly okay. what I was doing.
0: Okay. Yes. Yeah. But
1: I also knew we were using a condom, and what are the odds?
0: Do you know, I'm 43 years old, Morgan, which means I've been sexually active for 30 years-ish. And I've never had a condom break.
1: Oh. Well, so, look at this luck that I wow. have.
0: <laughs> so, My I husband mean, jokes. This was my meant to be jokes. baby.
1: Oh, absolutely. My husband <laughs> jokes because I was so excited to have a baby someday. And I i was such a birth nerd already years ago. Yeah. He's like, I swear you poked a hole in it. Um, I, I swear against it.
0: <laughs> <laughs> oh, my gosh. No. So, I mean, like, did it, like, literally break? Like, you, like, were like, oh, gosh. Okay. So, yeah. right away, did you have a gut feeling? Like, hey, I do fertility awareness method. I'm really in tune with my body. Like, we just, you know... This is perfect timing if there's no condom.
1: Yes, I did. Actually, in that moment, I thought in my mind, I'm pregnant.
0: Yeah. Okay. <laughs> and
1: so 10 days later, um, my husband was downstairs making dinner. I was going to go upstairs and take a quick shower. And I, I noticed, I was like, oh, you know what? I'm about 10 days post ovulation. I wonder if I peed on this pregnancy test that I just have under the cabinet, I wonder what would happen. I went ahead and took it, and I always record myself. This is my favorite tip to any person trying or not trying to get pregnant. If you're going to pee on a stick, record it, record your reaction. Yeah. So I recorded it just like I had done times before and thought it was going to be a negative test until it wasn't.
0: So, yeah. Wow. Okay. (laughs) I wish I had recorded mine. Okay. So I will never forget Jagger, my second, he's six years old. And when I took the test, I was like so certain and I was at work and I was like, oh, you know what? My husband was like, oh, I know. He was at this like meeting or something like all day, right? Like where like, I couldn't get a hold of him. So I called my best friend Tara and I was like, listen, I'm just going to need you to be on the phone with me like just in case. And I was like talking to her on the phone and it like I, you could just see the faintest line. And I just started freaking out. I'm like, I was in a car at work. I was like, this is, I got to go home. <laughs> like I, like, I got to go home and take a I nap. Know. I got to
1: go home and sit on the couch. Yeah.
0: At the time I was in outside sales, like selling pharmaceuticals. And I was like, I am done here, you know? So <laughs> I'm, like, you can't there's... put on your game face after that. Right. Exactly. So, um, give me one second. Let me put a marker on here. Um, Hey mom, I'm in the middle of a podcast recording. I'm sorry, I just was gonna tell you to water the flowers. Okay, bye. Okay, bye. bye. My mom. I might even keep that in. My mom just called me to tell me to remind me to to water the garden. <laughs>
1: <laughs> mom is still in charge of I how, know, 43 man. years
0: old. I'm <laughs> like, I'm an adult, Mom. They're my plans. <laughs> got oh, this. <laughs> you know, I've got this. But anyway, I think that's great advice to go ahead and record yourself. I cuz I kind of wish I had like it was such a surprising reaction. And then later mm. I had to tell my husband and then I had to tell him that he wasn't the first person. I told. Oh no. <laughs> you um, know what? My husband wasn't
1: the first person I told either. So we're in
0: this together. <laughs> so are you going to let me share said video on my Instagram? Do you sure, have it? Let's do that. Of yeah. course I have it. Okay. Yes, I was like, that would be really fun. I would love to share it when we publish this episode. You guys go over to birth.story.academy. I've changed my Instagram now because apparently I don't know my identity as a as an influencer. So on Birth Story Podcast, you find at birthstoryacademy on Instagram. And um, we'll post it. Morgan, that'll be fun. Sounds so. good. Okay, so you're in this small town like You said, like, even people that are down the road are like, I don't know where this small town is in Texas. <laughs> so where is the where is the closest hospital?
1: Yeah, so there's a hospital um, 0.2 miles from my house. But oh. whenever I got pregnant, said hospital did not have an L&D department.
0: Oh, okay. So, so where the was closest... the closest L&D?
1: <laughs> exactly. Closest L&D was an hour away from me. I had two options, both an hour away in different directions.
0: Okay, in an hour away is not close. So you knew, like, I want to have a home birth. Okay, I know nothing about home birthing in Texas. Is it legal? Mm-hmm. Awesome. And like, are the midwives like easily accessible to find? Um, it's
1: so so. Um, in my area, I had I think two options that okay. would that would travel to me. Um, luckily, they were both down the road. Both of my options. Um, I think in the bigger cities, you have a lot more luck, Okay. but in these smaller towns, not so much.
0: Okay. So did you hire your doula first? That was the doula friend?
1: Yes. I texted my doula um, as soon as I found out I was pregnant and said, guess what? And she said, pregnant. Yes,
0: (laughs) let's do it. Okay. Now had she worked with these other two local midwives? No, she had not actually. So this was going to be a new experience for her too. Very cool. Okay. Now, did you interview both of them?
1: I chose not to interview the doula just because I had known her for years. I did um, schedule two appointments with midwives. So the two options that I had, yes. Um, I scheduled one appointment with the midwives that I ended up choosing. And then the very next day, I had another appointment. But whenever I interviewed the first set of midwives, my husband and I looked at one another and we had previously said, we're not going to make a decision in the meeting. But we knew we looked at each other. We looked at them and we
0: said, you're our midwives. Yeah, you do just know. Right. I'm in an Mm -hmm. interview all or interviews all the time with like potential clients. And they'll they'll say like, oh, Heidi, you're like the first person we're interviewing. And I'm like, "Okay, great. And then at the end of it, they're like, I guess we're going to cancel all of the other (laughs) interviews with the other yes. doulas <laughs> and I'm like mm, yeah because we're like we're really getting along here like we're meshing yeah. you know yeah Um. okay so talk to me about the midwifery model of care in Texas so you've just now found out you're pregnant you've got a doula you've now decided on the midwife and what does it look like or feel like to have um, this kind of care yeah
1: so the midwifery model of care is primarily based around informed choice, informed consent, whatever you want to call it. Um, It's a lot more easily accessible in the midwifery model than it is in the hospital model with my very little bit of experience. Um, And with home birth midwives, we have a couple of options. Um, Some home birth midwives will have their prenatals and all of their appointments in a separate office and others will have them in your home. So what I really valued about the midwives that I chose is that all of my appointments were in my home, on my couch. And it was very personal. Um, every single appointment lasted at least an hour, often two. Um, I mean, we, we, got, we became such great friends that we got each other Christmas presents, and I still see them once a week. And they hold my baby once a week when we hang out. Yeah. Um, and so it's all about that connection, and it really felt more like a friendship than a doctor-patient
0: relationship. Yeah. And you feel like an individual, right? And not like Absolutely. you're one of thousands or whatever. I love love going to my home birth clients prenatal appointments at their homes like with their midwives and like I don't have a job to do you know I'm just there like just to kind of build the energy and the connection and like but I love it I think there's just like nothing greater than like having a cup of tea like on your couch and listening to the heartbeat with the doppler and it's just so warm compared to mm-hmm. like um the experience that I had and most of my clients have, it's where it's just like a ten minute appointment at a sterile office with a sterile gown and a I don't know what those that crunchy paper is that they make you sit oh. on. That's so terrible. <laughs> I mean, that's a no thank you. Yeah, no, I'm like, my couch would be much better. So I absolutely love it. And I'm so glad that you got to share a little bit about that. How many appointments do you think you had overall prenatally?
1: Oh, I think we did every four weeks, um, actually starting at four weeks gestation. Um, Starting at four weeks, they started visiting me just because we kind of got along really well. um, And they would come to my house every four weeks until I hit, I want to say it was 30 weeks whenever we started getting them close together, maybe every two weeks at that point.
0: Okay. Now, did so you... I saw them frequently. That's awesome. And did you opt for anything out of the home, like an ultrasound? I did choose to do just
1: one ultrasound. I did the anatomy scan at 20 weeks. Okay. Um, I wanted to be sure, I wanted to be absolutely positive that I was a good candidate for home birth, that this baby was a good candidate for home birth. Mm-hmm. And also I wanted to find out the sex ahead of time.
0: Oh, okay. Mm-hmm. Now, how does that work when you're in home birth? How do you schedule that?
1: Um, my midwives referred me to a local hospital, okay. um, okay. the local hospital that doesn't have an L and D department, but they do ultrasound. Oh, um, the
0: one that's like 0.2 miles. Okay. Yes. Right down Amazing. the road. Amazing. Okay. Mm-hmm. So that's really good. So you could just very easily go and get an ultrasound if you needed and all that. Okay. So yes. what, what is the sex? The
1: sex is a girl. Okay. I have a baby girl.
0: What's her name? <laughs> her name is Loveland Gray. Loveland Gray. Oh, my gosh, what a great name. Thank How you. Beautiful. It's yeah, it's very different. It's very beautiful. I love it. I love it. I love unique names. My first Maximus Danger. I think that's a little unique. And then Jagger. I haven't met too many Jaggers. My six-year-old is Jagger Kai. And I there's lots of Kais out there, but I haven't met too many Jaggers. So
1: My husband's boy list, number one, is Maximus.
0: Oh, and I so love I'm with it. you, girl. I love it. <laughs> I mean, I really I mean, I love my kids names. You know, I wish I had a girl, but um, two boys and I love their names. So and picking a namesake. I mean, how did you come up with Loveland?
1: I wish I had a good answer to this. Okay. Mostly (laughs) I just ran across it. There is a woman named Loveland Palm and she has a nonprofit called Shine. I believe it's in Uganda. And I think that her, her primary goal is to keep um, communities together um, in Uganda so that they can really thrive within their community instead of, you know, falling into kind of impoverished ways. So um, that's where I heard the name from, but I'm really not super involved with her charity.
0: Okay. Well, I absolutely love it. I have like a big connection to Uganda. There's a story in my book in the birth story book where I was an adoption doula for a couple in Uganda. And I got to spend three weeks in Jinja and um, at this orphanage and working with this couple. And it was so beautiful. And I wrote about the whole story in the book, but like, I love Uganda and I got to swim in the Nile River, and that's like- You
1: did what? Highlight. You lived the dream. (laughs) I did.
0: It was like one of my highlights of being a doula as I was like, this is the coolest thing ever to be an adoption doula internationally it was amazing so wow you do it all yes well I try to that was like many years ago like probably four years ago when my kids were little enough that I could they were not breastfeeding anymore or you know or bottle feeding and I could leave them so um well I am excited to know like the number one question we always get is like hey Heidi I'm so nervous. I'm so anxious. I'm feeling all these things in my body. Like, how am I going to know that I'm in labor? So for you being at home, not going to all these checks, what I have learned is that those that are having a home birth, there's typically a lot less pressure. It's not like, you're thirty nine weeks, and the arrive trial says that you should be <laughs> induced if you want to reduce your chances of a sincer- cesarean section. I like oh. can't even say it like without <laughs> you know without just laughing so hard. So, in your experience, like what did the end of your pregnancy feel like in midwifery care, and how did you know you were in labor?
1: Yeah, so I knew that there was no pressure. From my midwives, there was no pressure from my care providers. I cognitively could say, I am perfectly fine going to 41 or 42 weeks. That is no big deal. However, whenever I hit 39 weeks, guess who was hooking herself up to the breast pump? Guess who was going on long walks? Guess who was curb walking? And I just couldn't stop myself. Okay. So that kind of got me in this heightened sense of awareness. Where at 40 weeks and one day, I started feeling some crampiness. I started having some frequent contractions and they were, they were easy ones, but I had never had contractions before. So I didn't know what an easy contraction was. Um, that led into peridromal labor for, for four days. <laughs> so I didn't know what labor was until, until I was 40 and four and it really kicked in. And I said, oh, this is different.
0: Yeah. Well, here's the good news, though, Morgan. The average, f- like, gestation for a first-time birthing person is 41 weeks in one day. So while it kicked you into prodromal labor, and also kind of put you into labor a little earlier <laughs> than most <Right>? people go into <laughs> labor. So it sounds like you went into your active labor at 40 and 4, Yes, And you had had prodromal labor for four days. So for those of you guys listening, as a reminder, prodromal labor is labor that just stops. Like you think you're in labor for like four hours, but it never gets longer, stronger, closer together, persistent, consistent contractions. It just is like, ooh, ooh, ow, ow, ha, huh, ha, huh. done. And then it just stops, right? It's very exhausting, but curb walking and having sex and having orgasms and nipple stimulation and all of these, drinking your red raspberry leaf tea and your evening primrose oil, like all of these things that encourage the cervix to ripen can also set you into prodromal labor. You know what else can set you into prodromal labor? A membrane sweep. So, Ooh. Whew, so often I'm like, <laughs> please don't do these. You guys, these membrane sweeps, if your body's not ready, kind of Morgan, just like your body, it wasn't ready. You're doing all the things and all it did is just make you have contractions that didn't lead to a baby. Right. Until exactly. four or five days later. Same thing with the membrane sweep. Like if your body's not ready, all you're going to do is cramp and bleed cramp and bleed and think you're in labor when you're not in labor. So anyway, but it sounds like Morgan, you at least ripened your cervix some to go. I into... did. My <laughs> cervix was tired when yeah. I was done with it. <laughs> yes. Um. Would you do it again that way? Absolutely not. Never okay. again. No. Okay. So for those that are listening right now that are first time birthers, what advice do you have for like what you did versus what you would do differently for your next pregnancy.
1: Yeah, so like I said, in my mind and on paper, I could sit here and tell you that I was, I was going to be patient all day long. Um, what I would have done if I could go back is have an accountability partner. Probably my husband is who I would have chosen had I known to do this, but say, hey, whenever I start getting antsy, can you just remind me that I don't need to push this baby? This baby will come when they're ready. Yeah. And it's not my responsibility to tell my body to go into labor. My body is smart and my body will go into labor when it's ready. Um, so that's something that I, I would probably recommend to a first timer who's wanting to wait until spontaneous labor happens. Just have an accountability partner and, and voice to them what, what it is you're looking for, what it is you really want out of your birth. Maybe that's your doula. Maybe it's your midwife, maybe it's your doctor, but someone who understands what you're going for and can help you achieve that.
0: Yeah, I totally agree with that. My goodness, if I could just get everybody to believe it, you know, (laughs) I mean, it's so hard. And I, I went the extra mile with mine, too, in the mind game. So one of the things that we do in our group prenatal visits, Morgan, is we make everyone come up with 10. Like, it's almost like a bucket list from 40 to 42 weeks. And it's like, these are the things, and it has to be self-care and enjoyable. So it has to be like, I'm going to try this restaurant that I've never tried. I'm going to cook this recipe that I've never cooked before. I'm going to put this puzzle together, or I'm going to go get a manicure, whatever it is. But we make each of our clients come up with 10 things and then email us those things. so that I when, love that. So we're the accountability partner. So when they call and they're like, well, I can't do this anymore, I'm like, did you you get that manicure? Bye. Go get that manicure and then call me back, you know, or go out to dinner or whatever, like whatever those 10 things are, we start working off of that list. So I love that. We're yeah. doing that next time around. I was going to say, put that, put that in there <laughs> for the next one. So, um, okay. So 40, you're in prodromal labor. What does that feel like? compared to knowing you were in active labor at 40 weeks and four days. Can you share the differences in your body?
1: Yeah. I mean, I could still go about my normal day. I could still go to the grocery store. Yes, I would pause. I'd be bending over to grab apples and then I'd pause, get through a contraction. And then I could keep doing what I was doing. I could still go for a long walk and come back home and be okay. Mm -hmm. I could still eat and drink normally without feeling these big shifts in my body. That all changed on that fifth day, you know, the end of the fourth day, whenever it it turned active, I couldn't do those things anymore.
0: Okay. So how did it, like, what was the turn? Like when you felt the shift, what time of day was that?
1: Well, I cried my eyes out at 40 and four. My midwives came over because I told them I'm having this padromal labor. It's driving me nuts. And they just came over to kind of reassure me, which is amazing. That's the home birth model of care right there in front of your face. They came to my house to reassure me, hug me, let me cry. And then they left me with homemade eggplant parm. And they said, Oh yeah, (laughs) I know, they said, why don't you take a Benadryl or have a half a glass of red wine, do whatever you, whatever will relax you and go to sleep. And I really came to terms with things. And I chose not to take a Benadryl. Um, I did have half a glass of red wine. That was a treat at 40 and four. Mm-hmm. Um, but then I really just let go for the first time in so long. And, and I went to sleep. And then I woke up three hours later. And I, I immediately got on hands and knees in the bed. And then I thought, you know what? I'm going to go to the bathroom because I kind of felt something going on in the nether regions. Okay. And it was my mucus plug.
0: Wow. Okay. Did you take a picture of it and send it to your midwife?
1: I did not send the picture, but I have the picture and I have shared it with friends. (laughs) Got it.
0: I know so many people are like, what does a mucus plug look like? And I'm like, let me count the 1000 of them in my phone. Because (laughs) (laughs) everyone's like, are you, am I totally sure? And I'm like, yes. If it looks like you snotted out of your vagina, for sure, that's your mucus plug. Now, losing your mucus plug means that your cervix is thin thinning, and opening. So when it thins and opens, things come out of it. So that's really exciting. So yes. your contractions woke you up out of your sleep. For they For sure. Yeah. And mm-hmm. was, were they just much stronger than they had been the previous four days?
1: I wouldn't say much stronger, but they were certainly um, different. The ones I had felt previously were kind of the the rubber band contractions that you hear people talk about. They start in your back, they wrap around your belly, and they last for however long. These weren't that way, actually. Um, I felt these contractions more in my hips and in my thighs, which I had never heard of before. And so that was the main differentiation. It was really kind of where I felt it. And it it was stronger, but not significantly at that point.
0: Yeah, it is very surprising, Morgan, that you can feel your contractions often from mid-thigh to like mid-rib or even the top mm-hmm. of your ribs, and anywhere in between. And that all has to do with the position of the baby, right? Like where we're feeling things. So of course, yeah, you're smiling. So I'm like, okay, where are we going with this story? Okay, so it's the middle of the night, you've had that eggplant parm, which y'all, that is not just a midwives thing, Tale, an old tale like that. I that's legit. Eggplant parm, like that's, legit your eggplant So do it I was like that's one of those like natural induction things one of those tricks between the labor
1: I think there's Mm -hmm. like a certain restaurant you're supposed to get it from but now I'm convinced you can have any form of it
0: any form as long as that's (laughs) fresh eggplant I'm like some good fresh eggplant really ripe fresh eggplant um so it's the middle of the night you get in all fours you go to the toilet okay now what happens
1: yeah. So I said to myself, you know what? Everybody told you you're supposed to go back to sleep. So go back to sleep. So I laid back in bed and I tossed and turned. And I really, I don't, I don't want to say that I couldn't sleep through them because I couldn't shut my mind off. I really felt like the intensity was enough to where I couldn't sleep through them. Okay. Um, so really, I just stayed awake from that point. And then I decided after a couple of hours that I would just head into the living room. I set up some tea lights. I thought, well, let's get, let's get the mood going. If I'm going to have this baby at home and I can still kind of function in between contractions, let's go ahead and get the mood going. So kept the lights off, turned on some, or lit some tea lights, um, played some worship music. I had a playlist ready to go. And then I had myself a snack.
0: (laughs) Good. Now, did you let your husband stay asleep? Is that what was happening? I did. Okay. (laughs) Yeah. We all do it. Y'all we do. We all, we're all like, all of a sudden we go into the mode of like, I think there's like a, we want to be alone a little bit. Like there's something primal about wanting to be alone, but then we also still go into this, like, is everyone else okay? Like, I don't want to bother my midwives or my doula, you know? Yes. That was exactly what was going through my mind. (laughs) Oh my gosh. Were you enjoying being alone though and eating your snack and kind of doing your thing? At that point I was, I had
1: the dog and the cat to keep me company. Yeah. <laughs> so I was just doing fine.
0: Did you text your midwife or your doula?
1: I waited until about 5.30, I think. So that all started at, I woke up at midnight and then at about 5.30 in the morning, one of my midwives, I have two, they're a team. Um, one of them typically wakes up around five, 5.30 in the morning. So I went ahead and texted her okay. and it was the one morning that she wasn't awake yet. So I ended up calling her like probably <laughs> 20 minutes later. Okay. And what was their advice? Um, she lives right down the road from me. So she said, well, why don't I just come over and just hang out with you for a minute? Um, use the Doppler, just be sure heart tones are doing great. And then she was going to, she went back home and she left me be again after that.
0: Oh, see, that's that midwifery model of care. That is so wonderful. So at that point, um, your sweet baby girl was tolerating that early labor really well and the heart tones like, um, sounded really good.
1: Yes, they sounded great at that point. I remember my midwife specifically saying, Oh, she doesn't care at all that you're in labor. She's just hanging out. You're doing great. And that made me feel so much pride, even though I wasn't in control of my baby's heart tones. Yeah. Um, I felt so much pride with her saying, Oh, she doesn't even care that you're contracting.
0: Yeah. Did they do a vaginal exam at all or is it just leave you be? Yeah. So that was an option. And I did decide to do a
1: vaginal exam at that point. I wanted to know what I was starting at Okay. that way. I'd kind of have something to gauge. Um, Looking back, I may I may have not done that, okay. um, but I, I opted to at that point and I was a centimeter and a half and 80 percent a
0: That sounds right. Uh, normal for me, because you were only about five or six hours into your birthing time and your first time birthing person. So I wouldn't really expect you to be further than that unless you were like moaning and, you know, really primal. Um, you know, but if you're still setting up tea lights and making yourself a snack, I'm like, you know, probably one to two. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> probably one to two. Okay. So how did the day unfold?
1: So my midwife went back home and instructed me just to kind of rest, keep changing positions and keep doing what I'm doing. Be comfortable. At this point, I had woken my husband up shortly before I called the midwife and I decided to um, lay in bed for a little bit try to get some more rest. And I was laying on my side at about 8am. So I'm about eight hours in whenever I felt a huge pop (laughs) (laughs) felt like champagne popping in my belly. And I knew exactly what it was. And my legs were together at that time. I was using the peanut ball intermittently, but I had my legs together at that time. And I called my husband. I said, come in here and bring a towel. So he comes running in there and we kept my legs together as much as we could. We slipped the towel in there really fast. I stood up and it gushed. gushed.
0: So wow. my waters had broken. <laughs> and then I would venture to say things got real after that. Oh,
1: so. girl.
0: <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah, they definitely, the contractions definitely felt different after water broke. And that was something I wasn't aware of before going into labor. I didn't think that there would be a big difference.
0: So if you have like a leak, like if your water is broken, but it's like just a leak, you still have a ton of amniotic fluid in there and it's like all cushy. But if you have that big gush and it's like it empties out of you, you know, your uterus and the baby and you like there's a lot more nerve endings that are getting fired on without that like nice fluidy cushion. So it can feel a lot more intense for a period of time. Now, I am definitely one of those people, Morgan, that your threshold changes in labor. So like what you thought you couldn't handle in prodromal later became like, oh, that wasn't a big deal. And then in early labor, you're like, whoa. And then later you're like, it's as if you get mentally and physically stronger in a very short period of time. As things get more intense, your body gives you what you need, like natural opioids to compensate. And so like what I have experienced with my clients and in my own labors is that once the waters were ruptured, it was super intense. And then it's like you get stronger and it just becomes your new normal. Did you feel that exactly. way too?
1: Exactly. I'm the type of person who stubbed their toe and then cried for hours. But the, the labor high, like you were saying, and how your body just, it, it's growing with intensity, but so does your bandwidth. Um, mm-hmm. I totally experienced that. I realized that I was capable of so much more than I ever would have given myself credit for yeah. outside of labor.
0: So I'm assuming now we're, you've texted your midwives again and are like, and my yes. water's <laughs> ruptured now.
1: <laughs> yes. So my midwife actually said she was going to come back in two hours. So she okay. walked in the door right after my water broke. She okay. walked in as I was putting the diaper on. Okay. So yeah, yeah, she she came in right then and and I was so proud. I said, look at this towel. My waters are clear. There's no meconium. She's like, good job.
0: I'm going to give you some claps. (laughs) I know, some claps. That's a really important education though, right? So if your water's rupture at home, we're like, look at it, right? And it should be clear and kind of odorless or almost like sweet smelling. It should not... If it smells like urine, it's urine, right? If it's, it's, it just smells kind of sweet. I don't know. And it might be like grapefruit tinged or like a pinky, orangey, like almost bloody color. But if there's anything that's green, brown, yellow, that's more like, you know, we say meconium happens, especially (laughs) if you're post date. So you didn't have any signs of meconium. Right. Boom. Because- if you did, does that mean a hospital transfer for you with those midwives, or if you not with my midwives?
1: Um, I know with some midwives, the simple site of meconium would mean a hospital transfer. With mine, it would only mean that if we saw any any other reason, if Doppler readings changed, if babies seemed to not be tolerating things well, then that would that would result in a transfer.
0: Okay, awesome. That's about the way that we do it here in my city in North Carolina. Okay. Where home birth is underground. So dumb. <laughs> That's so a shame. Dumb. So dumb. But at the birth center here, everyone wears a shirt that says meconium happens. So my midwife I, has one of those shirts. <laughs> I love it. It makes me so happy. I'm like, okay, so everything's clear. Your midwife comes back over and kind of what's the game plan?
1: Um, I don't quite remember things at this point. I, I remember her saying, um, Baby still, I know she's used the Doppler again. Now, both of my midwives came over. This was both of them. And my doula showed up shortly after I have okay. to say. So they used the Doppler again. I remember her saying again, baby sounds great. You're doing awesome. And then I think that, I think everyone stayed at that point. I think everyone hung out in the living room. I hung out in the living room with them and I sat on the ball, the birth ball. I sat on the birth stool. I was just kind of changing positions that we'd have conversation. And then if a contraction came, they could see it on my face and all conversation stopped. And I didn't have to tell anyone to do that. Somebody would be in the middle of a sentence. They'd see my face change and the whole room fell silent. And I thought that was the most beautiful thing.
0: (laughs) Mm -hmm. We're really good at that. And you want to know who's not really good at that often is the partners sometimes like don't know the cue. And that's not something we can teach in advance. So like very early on in birthing times, I use the one-two method. One alerts everyone in the room that the contraction is starting and two alerts everyone in the room that it is ended. So if that's a good little tip, you were in a home birth experience where everyone kind of knew, but sometimes in the hospital, like they're busy or they haven't been laboring with you for a long time and they walk in and I'm like, dude, she's in the middle of a contraction. <laughs> so yes. um, for anyone listening that is doing hospital birth or their partner is really confused, that's a good system for communication because like Morgan just said, I don't remember a lot, you know, but if you can remember to say one and two, it can be helpful. So you didn't remember a lot, Morgan, because you were in active labor. (laughs) (laughs) I think you're right. I think that's when it happens.
1: (laughs) Yes, And that's really all we did for the next four hours. Um, I mean, I moved around. I sat on the toilet quite a bit um, backwards. Oh my goodness. So, I don't remember who suggested it to me, but um, it was suggested to me to sit backwards on the toilet, put a pillow on the tank of the toilet and lay my head down and take a nap. So I did a lot of that. Maybe that's why I don't remember what happened.
0: Oh, my gosh. That is the best labor position ever. I mean, it is magical, magical, magical. So and we call the toilet dilation station. I mean, we are trained. Our brain is trained to relax our pelvic floor on the toilet. We've been doing it, I don't know, several, two times a day for our whole lives, essentially, since we've been out of diapers. And so being on that toilet is amazing. And yeah, get on backwards and get all the pillows and blankets and just take a nap. That's such good advice.
1: The sweetest part is my husband followed me with the lights, with the tea lights. I was sitting on the toilet with my head down and he comes walking in there quietly like a mouse and sets down tea lights all over the floor so I'd still have my lights. I was like, you're such a good home birth husband.
0: (laughs) Such a good home birth husband. And you know what being backwards on the toilet allows? It allows your back and your sacrum and your hips to be exposed to your birth team though too so that people can massage you and put pressure on you. You don't remember this, but your doula was probably doing a lot of physical touch with you at that point. I bet you she was. (laughs) Yes, especially if you were backwards on the toilet. Um, Now, did you have a birth tub? Were you planning to like give birth in the water?
1: I was, yes. And I didn't have a separate birth tub. Whenever we built this house, my husband is a home builder. I said, I have one requirement for this house that we're building. My bathtub has to be big enough to birth a baby in. That's the only requirement. So we have a large tub, and that's where I was going to have my baby.
0: Beautiful, beautiful. With and I would say, with two, if I was building a house, it would have to have two hot water tanks so that it could keep. So I'm like, so it could keep the like I could take as many baths or showers as I wanted in labor and keep the water hot. That would be the only thing. Yes, I would would add very important step two. Yes, to to home birth, home building uh, plans. Um, so I know you had to transfer to the hospital. So when, like what happened, it sounds like you were doing great and you were like really rocking your home birth. So like at what point did something change? So about
1: 12 hours in, so at this point it's noon. Um, I didn't know this, but my baby's heart tones started decelerating. Okay. And my midwives, they would use the Doppler every couple of contractions. Well, I noticed that they did start checking with the Doppler more frequently, but I didn't think anything of it. Um, And so then both of my midwives stepped out of the room, actually, while I was laboring and I didn't know where they went. So I looked at my doula and I said, hey, where did my midwives go? And she said, oh, they just went outside to have a quick conversation. I thought, okay, great. Just kept doing what I was doing. I was having the time of my life. This was the birth that I had dreamed of. I was, again, I was only 12 hours in, but I was just so happy and honestly in like la la land Mm -hmm. and just going through the motions. And then my midwives walked back into the room. I'm sitting on my bed at this point. I think I was on hands and knees and they both sat on my bed and they looked at me with this face that I hadn't seen before. And they looked at each other. And then one of them looked at me and said, your baby's having some significant heart tone decelerations. And I looked at them and I said, okay. Okay. They're like, so we're going to try some different positions. And we try different positions. They're like, you already try it. And then we waited a couple minutes. And they're like, well, we've already been trying a bunch of positions. And and we're still not seeing changes in these decelerations. I said, okay, so how dramatic are the decelerations? And typically during a contraction, my baby was around 120, 140. At this point, she was around 70, 80, 90.
0: Okay. Yeah, that's pretty low. But she would bounce right back up as soon as the contraction was over exactly contractions would end and she'd
1: go right back to normal
0: okay did they Um, check your cervix to make sure you just weren't 10 centimeters and ready to push
1: yes yes um but it hadn't hit me at that point so they're still telling me well your baby's heart tones are decelerating It's about 70 80 and I'm still looking at them like okay and like let's just get can you stop talking to me now I'm laboring here
0: yeah
1: um and they said so we need to transfer and that's when I came back into my body Mm. that's when I realized oh And they said, well, let's check your cervix. Let's see, or they offered to check my cervix. They said, let's see where you're at because if you're eight, nine, 10 centimeters, we can probably do this here. Um, And they also said, if we had an L&D department down the road, we would keep doing this here. We would give some IV fluids. We would keep changing positions if we could go right down the road to a hospital, but our closest hospital was an hour away. We yeah. couldn't stay at these decelerations for a long period of time because if something changed, we still had an hour before we got to support.
0: Yeah. That was really um, responsible and conservative and responsible of them, you know? So what, where was your cervix? I want to say I was
1: at three and a half centimeters at that point. I couldn't tell you effacement. basement. Okay. I hadn't progressed a whole time.
0: Okay. Yeah, I'd be very concerned, too, if I was your midwife and or doula in the room. That must have been heartbreaking for you, Morgan. I'm so sorry.
1: Yes, I got. Thank you. I got very angry. That was my first reaction. Instead of the sad heartbreak that I would have expected, I turned into a raging bitch is what I did. I jumped up off the bed and I started storming around my house. And I had packed a super small hospital bag, super basic. I had like a white onesie a pair of underwear for me, like I had nothing in it that I would actually need for a hospital transfer because I didn't think I was going to transfer. So I jumped up, I'm storming around, I'm cussing up a storm. This is stupid. I did everything right. I went to the chiropractor. I got the massages. I did the, I did all the positioning. I did spinning babies for four weeks. Why is this happening to me? And my birth team and my husband just followed me around picking up the things that I was throwing because the things I was throwing, I wanted to go into my hospital transfer bag and they just walked behind me and they just gave me so much grace, even though I was not being graceful
0: in that moment. I don't think anyone would. I'm just so sorry because the one thing that I have learned over 18 years of being a doula is that birth is just so unpredictable and that we, you know, we plan and the lesson that we're taught over and over again as parents is that we're just really not in control of much and that sucks. That's not a great feeling. Like we as humans, like we want to control everything and know that we have a hand in it. And I, you know, always say we can have preferences, but at the end of the day, our babies are the keepers of all of the knowledge. Like she knew exactly where her umbilical cord was. She knew where her placenta was. Like she knew what position she was in. She knew what she needed, you know.
1: Mm-hmm. She had a reason for everything that she was doing in there, and I just wasn't in in the loop.
0: <laughs> yeah, and I mean, how can we be, you know? And right. um, and what happened to, is pretty rare. It is pretty rare to be three and a half centimeters and have significant decelerations like that early on. Twelve mm-hmm. hours in, so so, what was the drive to the hospital like?
1: <laughs> Honestly, I think because I was. In such a heightened state of emotion, my body shut down. It wasn't safe to labor anymore. So I still was contracting the whole drive to the hospital. And um, I actually was sitting in the back seat and we have captain's chairs in the back seat. So one of them had the car seat in it and one of them had me in it. My midwife was sitting in the, the front passenger seat, and during contractions, she would reach back with her Doppler, and she would check my belly and make sure that heart tones weren't decelerating too much, because mm-hmm. in that case, we would have to pull over and call emergency support, but um, it, wasn't, it wasn't the car tractions that everyone talks about, yeah. the terrible drive where you're stuck in the car. with your, like I kept my seatbelt on the whole time, um, mm-hmm. because the contractions really started feeling like early labor
0: again. Morgan, mammalian birthing is like such a thing. I just interviewed someone on the podcast. You're never going to believe this. The the elevator got stuck in the hospital and she was pushing her baby out when she got there. And her cervix closed all the way back to three centimeters dilated. And labor stopped. And she didn't deliver for 24 more hours. Isn't that That's crazy? Insane. It is crazy. So for those listening, I don't know if I've published this episode first or that episode first. I don't know because I just recorded them. But like, it's true. When you get that anger and that adrenaline and that cortisol, and if your mammalian self is like, I don't know if this is safe here, it'll sh- you'll shut it down. You'll have some squeezes here or there. But like for the most part, it's not progressing your labor. So I'm not surprised. Okay. So you get to the hospital and is it, well, is it welcoming? Like, are they like understanding of home birth transfer and like, how are they treating you? Um,
1: So I selected this hospital over the, over the other, and I I had two options. Both were an hour apart. Um, We went with this one and my, one of my midwives stayed back at my house to kind of clean up everything that we had set out and to also call the hospital ahead of time and let them know that I was coming. She sent over my records to them before we got there. She let them know her membranes are ruptured. She's on her way in. She's a first time birthing person. Um, She's 40 weeks and four days at this point, uh, 40 weeks and five days at this point, I think. I can't quite remember. Um, And gave them all of my information. Now, because of COVID, I could only have Two people come in with me, so I chose my husband and then another one of my, the other one of my midwives just kind of by default. That's how it worked out because we all piled in the car that way, huh. and we walked in together. Um, I remember being very frustrated with the front desk person. My midwife went up to him to say, okay, this is the person we called ahead. Here's her name. You already have her files, and he looked at me, and he said, are you in labor? And I just cringed. I'm laying over his counter, swaying my hips back and forth. Are you in labor? I said, yes, I'm in labor. <laughs>
0: Yes, I'm in labor and I need to get a monitor on my belly to make sure my baby's okay.
1: Please. Yes. And then I had to spell my last name a million times, even though my driver's license was in his hand. It was, it was a frustrating situation. Of course, my midwife intervened as much as she could while my husband was out parking the car, but there's only so much you can do in that situation.
0: Yeah. Well, so aside from the front desk person, did they make Mm -hmm. you go to triage or did they put you straight away into a room?
1: They brought me straight away into a room. Thank goodness.
0: Oh, my God. That's advocacy based on your midwife. So that's amazing. Okay. And so did you get an obstetrician in the hospital or a midwife in the hospital? Because at this point, your midwife needs to to basically become a support person, not a medical provider, right?
1: Yes. So at this point, she was acting as my doula. Okay. And I had an obstetrician who took over my care.
0: Okay. Male or female?
1: She was a female.
0: Female. Okay. How do you feel about that?
1: I didn't even think twice about it. Okay, were you I don't, worried? I don't know if I would have minded either way.
0: Okay, were you worried about your baby at all, or were you just like, was your innate wisdom like, my baby's fine, and I'm just pissed I'm at a hospital?
1: Exactly, you just nailed it. That's exactly yeah. how I felt.
0: Okay, I, birthing persons, in my experience, not only do they know if something's wrong with their baby, but they look weird. They look off. They look like something's wrong. Like we're so in sync. So if I have a birthing person who's got heart decelerations, the baby's got heart decelerations, but the birthing person looks good, I am not a medical person, but I am way less worried than when I see heart decelerations on a monitor and I'm looking at the birthing person and she looks or they look off, different, unique. You know what I mean? So wow. it sounds like you knew I'm good. I feel good. I just feel like I'm in labor. This if you hadn't if they hadn't have told you there were decelerations, it sounds like you felt pretty normal and wouldn't have known. So okay. Of
1: course, yeah. Business as usual. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah. Okay. So at this point are you like, well, fuck it. I'll guess I'll just get an epidural, or were you like, um, I'm still gonna do this unmedicated?
1: I did say fuck it a lot. But I didn't say I was going to get an epidural. I said to myself, I'm still going to have my win. As long as I'm in control here, if I can be in control of one thing, I'm going to have, not that not that going unmedicated is a win, but this one sense of plan. For you it is. For, for me it was. It was. it was. it was part of my preferences. And for me, if I was still able to do it unmedicated, if that's what was in the best interest of my baby and I, then that's what I was going to stick with. Yeah. So that was still my intention.
0: Okay. So when you get there, like, is the baby Okay.
1: Um, It was significantly less of a deceleration. She was still decelerating, but not down to 70 like she had been. Okay. So I think that maybe being in the car had kind of shaken her around a little bit, changed the position a little bit.
0: Yeah. Um, We
1: don't, but there's no way to know exactly what was going on in there. It was probably cord compression because her waters had broken, um, but it wasn't as significant as it was when we were at home.
0: Okay. Did they start IV fluids by any chance?
1: I did opt for IV fluids. And I told them exactly where to put it on me. I said, don't put it where it's going to, on my wrist, where it's going to interfere with me holding my baby when they come out. I said, you can put it in my arm. And so they put it there. And I wanted them to remove it as soon as I got a bag. That way I could still be mobile. And what, what was amazing about this hospital was, I knew I needed continual field monitoring at this point. So typically that would be the big band around your belly, right? Mm-hmm. We did that for a, probably half an hour. And then they had the the sticky pads that do continual monitoring wirelessly. Mm-hmm. So I could still move.
0: And that was beautiful. It. And they work with Bluetooth technology. In my area, they're called. It's called the Monica or the Novi. I, there might be multiple brands. I'm not sure, in that different hospital stock. But, um, but yeah, always ask if the if a hospital has the Bluetooth, um, wireless portable, but it's but continuous. Fetal monitoring. So that's yeah. awesome. And I asked about the IV fluids because often if we see like kind of a, a baby who's misbehaving or, <laughs> you know, cord, sometimes everybody perks up a little bit with IV fluids. Like we think we're hydrating really well in labor, but Sometimes we're just not because it's really hard work and it's really long. And so sometimes a bag of IV fluid can just really help a little bit. So I think it
1: probably did because I was getting tired.
0: Yeah. Okay. so about this time, I'm guessing it's like what, around 2 p.m.?
1: just about, I would think I totally lost track of time. There was a clock in my room and I didn't look at it. I don't think once until after the baby was out.
0: Yeah. I'm trying to like kind of go through your timeline. So I'm like in the drive to the hospital. So let's say it's like around 2 PM, you've got a wireless monitor, you've got IV fluids. Um, are you able to get back into your mammalian state then and start laboring?
1: The best I could. Yes. Um, they wanted to check me. I did let them check me. Um, which was my second or third check since my waters had ruptured. So I'm not certain that was the best choice, but that's what I chose to do. And at this point I was four centimeters. Um, and then I just kept doing what I was doing at home. Um, I sat on the ball quite a bit with my body laying over the bed resting. Um, I think I sat on the toilet for a while again, and then I did side to side on the bed with the peanut ball between my legs. I still tried to move positions as much as possible.
0: Okay. And your midwife stayed with you the whole time? She did. Awesome. When did you feel like I need to push?
1: Um, you know what? That feeling surprised me. That was probably at about 10 p.m., but I started feeling that way. Okay. Um,
0: right I... on time, just so you know, Morgan. <laughs> 24 hours is the average length of labor for a first-time birthing person. So 22 hours later at 10 p.m. is right on time, everybody. So, Right? Yeah, I'm it's... like, I
1: should have known this is how this is going to go. I, <laughs> I can say it on paper all day long, but whenever I felt it, I felt it. And so I'm sitting up on the birth ball, and I had this blanket around me, a heated blanket. I was so cold in that hospital. And so I think that probably maybe slowed things down a little bit. I didn't feel warm, safe, comfortable, um, but I had the blanket around me and I'm bouncing up and down on the ball as much as I could. Um, and then I started at the end of contractions going, oh, oh, and I was yeah. like, what on earth is that? And I looked up at my midwife and she, she locked eyes with me and she said, grunty, huh? Or something like that. I just remember it was like just a couple words. And I looked at I was like, yeah. And then she just gave me complete validation just by that gaze knowing that she knew what was happening and I knew what was happening and she was trusting my body.
0: Yeah. It always starts with the grunt. You'll <laughs> hear at the peak of contractions that <sighs> and then I'm like, are you pushing? And every birthing person goes, I don't know. That's what they say. And then like within 30 minutes, they're like, <sighs> And they're obviously pushing, you know,
1: Um, Yeah, I just
0: couldn't make my body not do that. It's crazy. The fetal ejection reflex, it truly is a reflex. And when you feel it, sometimes when you're medicated, you feel it every now and then. For the most part, the epidural kind of numbs that feeling out. I've had a couple that it's happened on. But when you're unmedicated, it's so cool. Oh, my God. It's so cool. It felt
1: very validating for sure.
0: Yeah. So how long did you push for and what types of positions did you push in?
1: At this point, um, I was probably about 23 hours in after I grunted for a little bit, whenever I really decided, okay, let's let's focus in, let's start pushing. I was really, really tired. I actually slept through transition. So before I started feeling grunty, I was, I slept through the beginning of transition, I guess I could say. I was sitting upright on the bed sleeping between contractions. So Mm
0: -hmm. I was
1: very tired (laughs) to be sleeping during transition. Um, and so I chose to push on my back actually, which I swore up and down. I wouldn't do. I was in lithotomy, I guess my legs weren't completely spread wide open. My legs were a little closer into my shoulders. Um, but I pushed for a total of maybe an hour and a half, an
0: hour, 45, That's pretty good. Yeah. And that's normal. So a first time birthing person unmedicated, which you were, 30 minutes to two hours is normal. So you were right in that range. Yeah. And this is the thing. Push where you feel comfortable. Some, your body is so smart. Most like we, if I chart out unmedicated birthing, most of my clients are in some kind of form of like a runner's lunge, like one leg up and like one knee down and like kind of um, uh, off center, you know, um, we do cool things like putting your knees straight together and your ankles out and, you know, all that kind of stuff to open up your pelvis. But like if I didn't give anyone direction, they're usually in some kind of like a side kind of lunge kind of thingy. But every now and then I have clients that are like, I feel powerful on my back. Like I feel like I can grab my legs or my knees or be in happy baby and like really push, you know?
1: Yes. I remember my arms being so sore the days following my birth because I was pushing so intensely, which I don't know if I would push that intensely ever again. Maybe next time I'll ease into a little more. But I was grabbing onto something. I don't know if it was the arms of the bed, my legs, I couldn't tell you what, but I felt really strong when I was on my back
0: awesome what did it feel like to feel her like emerging
1: oh amazing amazing um I had the mirror up so I got to kind of see her emerge too but sister that ring of fire it has that name for a reason Mm -hmm. (laughs) (laughs) and in that moment whenever I was feeling the ring of fire I said in my mind oh this is it this is what the people talk about but then I also told myself slow down give it a minute, let her stretch, give her a minute. And so that felt, it felt good. It felt like I was in control. Like, look at what I'm doing. Look at what my body can do. I'm doing it. Yeah. So that was really nice.
0: Morgan, it is very difficult to birth unmedicated with a change of plans from a home birth to a hospital birth when you are a first time birthing person. I'm so proud of you. Like that was not an easy thing that you did. Thank like, you. Not easy at all. I mean, I would have died to have been your doula and witnessed. Like that power. I'm crying right now as I'm talking to you because I'm super emotional. You guys, I'm getting ready to hang up with Morgan in a minute because one of my clients, I was with one of my clients this morning and then another client just got called into the hospital. And so now I'm like, there's babies everywhere. And I just, it's so beautiful. But your story is just like... It could have gone a lot of different ways, but, like, you stayed so strong and so powerful, and you used your voice and your advocacy, like you said, to, like, get the bag of fluid and get the IV out of your arm and get a um, a portable monitor and push in the position that made you feel good, you know? So yes. I'm just really proud of you. So then she emerges. Is she okay? Does she get to come right to your chest? Um,
1: I was very aggressive right before she emerged i told everyone in the room don't touch my baby i'm catching her (laughs) and i also told everyone in the room do not bulb her i was talking about the bulb suctioning that i've seen them do to babies i said don't do either of those things when she comes out so i brought her straight to my chest and uh she was nice and pink she looked fine Uh, she didn't cry uh for a little bit yeah uh and she was pretty mucousy, which is, that was surprising considering how long she spent in my birth canal. Why was she so mucousy? Yeah. <laughs> um, but instinctively, I did something really gross. Heidi, can I tell you?
0: It, I'm not going to think it's gross at all. I'm a doula. So please go ahead and share.
1: I would be surprised to see if you've seen this before. So instinctively, I put my mouth over her nose and mouth and I sucked the fluid right out. <laughs> And I then I spit it on my shoulder.
0: I love it. I have never seen it before. I've seen lots of things, but I I absolutely understand that. Like, of course, and I would do it in a second if my if I felt like my child was like snotty and sucking, and I didn't have anything. It, you, it's like resuscitating your own baby. It's right. instinctual, you know. I wanted.
1: I didn't want the bulb. I felt like the bulb was aggressive the bulb is different than mom. Right. In that instance, that's just what felt right. Um, It's really funny to look back on. Like, that's pretty gross. I wonder what everyone else in the room was looking at me, how they were looking at me in that moment.
0: I don't think it's gross. I think it's super beautiful. I think it's really instinctual. And you helped her, right? Right after that, she probably let out a big old wail. I don't remember
1: exactly. I know she cried shortly after.
0: (laughs) Yeah. You gave her everything that she needed. Was the hospital good and like letting your cord like stop pulsating and things like that?
1: Yes. So that was something I also, or maybe my midwife, someone communicated to them that I wanted to delay the clamping. Um, We did that and, I actually ordered my hospital records after the fact because I was curious how long it was before my placenta was born. Mm -hmm. Um, It didn't feel like that long in the moment, but I remember them saying, oh, do you want some Pitocin just to help your your, um, placenta out? And I was like, "Uh, maybe, but can we give it a little longer? And then it came out, it was in a bowl. I I think my baby was still attached to it at that point. And they said, okay, are you ready to cut it? And I said, no, not yet. For no reason other than I just wanted to say no, not yet. I didn't even look at it.
0: Yeah, um, I love it. You just wanted to use your voice. I guess so. Use it.
1: Yeah. So we, um, my placenta was born after seven minutes. I'm convinced that there was probably some traction given that I don't remember. Seven um, minutes
0: is pretty fast.
1: <laughs> yeah, especially so. for a first timer, And I don't remember pushing it at all. I think there was some some traction, but you know, it doesn't quite matter at this point. And I think that's probably around the same time it was cut and clamped.
0: Yeah. Was there a nuchal cord or a wrap? Like, was there an obvious culprit for the decelerations at birth? No, there wasn't. There wasn't. Huh. So it must have just been literally fetal positioning when your water ruptured and at cord compression. And then as you continue to labor and she's so smart and she navigated around her cord, like the compression, the decelerations probably got better and the cohort compression got better, you know? Exactly. Yeah. So, um, did you encapsulate your placenta? I did. I knew it. Yay. <laughs> I'm a big fan. Yes. Those, so. those
1: placenta pills. Oh my goodness. I couldn't take them at nighttime because they would keep me up. They were like candy.
0: So helpful. I, so helpful. And it it is like a burst of um, caffeine, but without the jittery and like heart racing thing. It was yes. almost like, I was like, this is like ADHD in medicine. <laughs> you know, when uh-huh.
1: I took it. It feels illegal. I'm like, should I be doing yes. this?
0: <laughs> it feels so good. And it does feel like. I'm like, oh my gosh, I could do anything. I have so much energy. I'm like, I could do a fold all the laundry and breastfeed the baby and do, I mean, it really gives you what you need to get through those first six weeks. It's like. It is incredible. So, um, and I'm so thankful that no pharmaceutical company can ever get their hands on people's placenta.
1: (laughs) Yeah, don't touch it. No touching my placenta. Thank you. It is
0: yours and yours alone for what you wanted. So, well, Morgan, I'm so thankful for having you today and sharing your birth story. And I have a birth I'm going to run off to right now. But before I go, could you just share what your favorite baby product is?
1: Yes. So my favorite baby product is not a baby product. It is putting your bed on the floor. Um, We're a breastfeeding family and a bed sharing family. And so the best thing that I have done is sleep with my baby with my bed on the floor so that if there were to be an accident, if she were to roll, we're already on the floor. So although it's not a product, that's that's the thing that's made the biggest difference in our parenting journey so far.
0: I love it. What size do you have? A king size? Oh a king, absolutely. Yeah. Okay. I was going to say cuz you said you had animals too. Um, thank you for sharing that perspective. Um those that are long-term listeners of the podcast also know that we are a bed-sharing family. I did co-sleep with my babies. I know that can be quite controversial for some. And mine are 8 and 6 and they still sleep in my bed with me. And I'm now a single mom and it's wonderful. I have to say, like, they have been therapeutic to me while my I lost my marriage and I remain therapeutic to them that they know that mommy is right next to them, comforting and snuggling whenever they know it, need it. And like I know my 13 year old isn't gonna be in my bed, you know. <laughs> so I'm Yeah, we're not
1: going to college with them to sleep right. in their in their dorm room. <laughs> so I
0: soak up every minute of it and I love it. So Thank you for sharing that perspective. Morgan, it has been a pleasure and I would love to keep in touch. So thanks for being on today. Thanks, Heidi. Okay, I have a really amazing discount for you guys with AnjaHealth.com. So it's A-N-J-A health.com. They are my exclusive partner for cord blood and tissue banking. If you've listened to episode 88 of the podcast where I interview the CEO, Catherine Cross, all about cord blood and tissue banking and the 1,000 questions that I had. My child has cerebral palsy, from a birth injury. I cannot go back in time. It is one of my greatest regrets. So I partner with Anja Health because I'm so passionate about cord blood and tissue banking. And I really want to teach you guys all about it. Code Birth Story gives you the biggest discount that there is available, and they are committed to Birth Story always being the biggest discount. So, right now, it makes your kit only $20, which essentially covers shipping. So, it's $180 off with Code Birth Story. So, please consider cord blood and tissue banking. Look at anjahealth.com. Again, it's A N J A Health. Dot .com and if you are going to bank your cord blood and tissue then please use code birthstory so you get the biggest and best discount that is available. Thank you for being part of the Birthstory family and listening to this episode. On Tuesdays every week our Doula Diaries, little snippets and tidbits from my week along with some teaching and education And then on Thursdays, we meet here for our birth stories and our expert speakers. So thank you for being here and listening to the podcast twice a week. And if you are left wanting more, like Heidi, I've listened to all the episodes, I've read your entire book, then I hope you will meet me in Birth Story Academy and let me be your online childbirth educator to prepare you for your hospital birth, no matter what that looks like.